0: yes this is the purple patch podcast and as ever this is your host matt dixon and join us today we are going to talk as ever about performance we're going to talk about excellence but as you probably realize excellent doesn't often come without fear today we're going to dive into the internal struggle the journey of achieving quite wonderful results but focusing on an area that few are honestly willing to discuss I think this is very special, and I've got to say I'm incredibly proud of Purple Patch Pro, Laura Siddell, and her willingness to join me to discuss her journey in the sport. This isn't like other podcasts. This is a world-class athlete showing the greatest vulnerability in expressing fears, confidence, and challenges that she's faced and managed, I might add, on her path to world-class performance. There are the same fears that you likely have, whether you like to admit it or not, This is an anti-Rocky Balboa zone, and I hope that you find it inspiring. But before you do, it's the word of the week. We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dixonary word of the week. Yes, the word of the week this week is linear, linear. Yes, it's spoken with sarcasm because the path to performance is both a journey, but also one that is seldom linear in progression. Whether you're losing weight, building a business, trying to progress in sport, develop friendships or grow as a leader, none of it is linear. All of them are full of obstacles, roadblocks and challenges. In fact, I would argue that the destination of performance is only truly meaningful and worth the fight if there is struggle, surprise, and challenge along the way. It is, quite honestly, chaotic, unpredictable, and many times really, really normal to feel loss, despair, frustration, and even a crisis of confidence, much of what we're going to talk about today. But this is why planning is critical. This is why you must create a framework of progression to chart the journey so that you can have a destination but also a framework to work underneath. And this is why there must be a backbone of repeatable habits. They become so, so key. And so we can bring a framework to the challenges and smooth out the struggles. Great success involves struggle, adaptability, belief passion progression is never linear get used to it and embrace it and that is why the word of the week this week is linear and now in homage to Laura who's from up north it's your meat and potatoes lad or as the southerners would say now it's time for the meat and potatoes let's get on with it It is the meat and potatoes, and today a special guest, Laura Siddle. Welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast.
1: Uh, hi Matt, thanks for having me.
0: No worries, and for you guys at home listening, the uh, many of you guys will know Laura already, Purple Patch Pro, and I'm going to make you blush to start, Laura. I don't think that there is a better story of individual development up to world class performance than you, Laura, and. Uh, And I want to go through your story a little bit today. But this discussion we're going to have, and and I want to thank you up front, because this is not going to be a normal pro coming on a podcast story. And I'm sure many of the listeners have heard many of the well-known professional athletes come on and talk about their life and their racing and what they went through, etc., etc. Today is going to be really different. Today, we're going to expose some of the realities of racing pro and also some of the struggles that you've gone through. In fact, our mission today, collectively, yourself, Laura, and my, myself, is to help listeners understand some of the struggles, some of the fears that you go through in both in racing and in training. And you've agreed to really, I, I say, come on and, and expose the reality of the external, external and internal pressures that you face as you're going through racing and uh, and I think people are going to be very surprised as we go through this discussion but most importantly I think through a performance lens help people become more equipped with managing their own fears their own perception of racing etc so before we dive in I just want to really thank you for being willing to do this I think many people hide behind a veneer of uh, of indestructibility and um, and it's just simply not the case to get to world class performance so so thank you for joining and I guess the first question are you ready to do this?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure um yeah, no, it was um when you mention mentioned it, yeah, super happy to come on and chat, and I will try and be as open as I can, and I think more probably the thing I'm going to struggle with is probably trying to explain what i'm. What I mean and those struggles and stuff actually sort of verbalise it. But um, yeah, happy to to have that chat and and see where we get to and give it a go.
0: Just just to frame us, so we've been you've uh, we've now been together as a coach and athlete for um for five years or so. You you joined Purple Patch in two thousand and fourteen, and you came with a a great pedigree as an amateur athlete. You were four time amateur world champion across three different distances, sprint, Olympic distance, and half Ironman. And the reason at the time you were based in Sydney and the reason to join Purple Patch is you basically wanted to transition to big girls racing. You wanted to become a professional athlete. And we're going to dig into that transition first today, but I want to frame your accomplishments. And I I think it's, we can go through and say, yes, you are now a three-time Ironman champion at the professional level. You're the fastest British long course athlete in both 2016 and 2017 with an Ironman finishing time of 8.51, which for you guys that are not triathletes listening is just very, very fast. But here's a stat that that I think endorses athletic development. I talked about you being so successful over the last 30 races that you competed. So from the end of 2015 until now, you've only been off the podium, that being in the prize money basically, our definition of prize money, in three of those races. So you are known as a tough athlete, an incredibly resilient athlete, a highly successful, in front of the one of the most successful athletes in the world, and you race a lot. So in your last 30 races, you've had six wins, 11 second place finishes, five third place finishes and a bunch of races that have been in the money, which were we'll labeled as the podium, incredible performance across the last couple of years. So you are by definition world-class, not to make you blush too much.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, um, it was a little bit of a, and um, I did sort of take myself back when I kind of collated the stats and went back over those results over the past few years and just realized how many results I kind of have had and the consistency I think you know you you focus a lot on the wins and I've had a few wins um but when you look back and say actually I've been on the podium and uh, granted in second place a lot um you know it's easy to forget because you just the race happens and I think probably something might come out you always pull it to par- pull it apart and pull it to bits and and pick out the negatives and then you kind of move on and probably don't really think about it again so yeah i sort of surprised myself when i had a look back at those results
0: and you know look probably 90 95 of your success is down to me and five percent to you but um uh <laughs> but um but i think that's it. it is fantastic perspective for you to uh to get. And, and I think if you, when you started this journey to pro in 2014, you, you're probably like, wow, you know, how he arrived. And the reason I wanted to start with that is that there is a common perception. And I get asked this all the time of one of the most common questions is, do the pro athletes hurt? Do they suffer pain? and um, And then the second one is a perception that you guys as a group are highly confident, and uh and really resilient it's just your job that's what you do so confidence is obviously coming through it and that's what we want to dig into today because uh i want listeners to understand this is success but essentially you know 30 fantastic races and yeah, it doesn't come out of this great confidence and I promise you there was a lot of pain involved to get to that those wonderful accomplishments before we dive in I think it's important to frame who you are as a person so why don't you just give me two or three minutes on your background going all the way back to your dirty northern upbringing in England uh, transitioning to Australia all the way up education career family I'd I'd love to hear more
1: you have to remember I am a dirty northerner but my mum's side of the family, uh, also from a similar area to your background, Matt, from, uh, the London side of, um, of the country and the West Ham, Hammers football ground. But yeah, I'm, um, was born in Mansfield, uh, youngest of four girls, um, always did sport as a kid, but sort of netball, um, and athletics. So track running 400 and 800s and, um, sort of engineering at university, and went to got a transfer with my job at the time, which was with I started working for Shell, the oil company after the university, and um, transferred out to Australia for a couple of years. Just triathlon, and um, started as a complete beginner, and just as a hobby, and then um, sort of, I guess I'd always throw myself into sport, but and suddenly this was a new sport, and I could see I something I could sort of improve on pretty quickly or make make big 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 gaps of improvement and and so sort of fell in love with it and got addicted and we had a good good group training group out there so it was really so social and a lot of my best friends are still from that from that training group um and yeah it just sort of developed from there and I got to a stage in my career sort of sat at the sat at the desk job of the corporate world and kind of figured um you know I don't want to look back at life in five ten years time and think what if and um corporate world will always be around in some form or other but the sports world isn't and so it got to a point in the sport where I sort of decided to take a leap and see what I could do as a professional that's a very quick and rough (laughs) rough version
0: well well, let's let's dig into it a little bit and and I want you to go back to your first year as a transition into professional life. And, and it's one of the toughest transitions I think you can do because you have the sport as your hobby yep. and then you have the sport as your job. And, and yet you don't really know what your job's going to be because it, we, we all have this sort of visualization of what it might be. So, so what did you think the process to be turning professional would be so far as hard work intervals and everything? What, what? What did you What did you think it would be like?
1: I, to be honest, I I think I didn't think about it. I didn't really think what a I, I grew up where sport was very much the hobby, and you went on and had an academic and a corporate career, and so the the concept of being a professional athlete, a professional sports person, just wasn't kind of something I'd thought about. Um, yes, I'd had dreams of the olympics as as most sort of sporty young kids do it was only when i went to australia and sports so big over there um i I think it has changed in the uk it definitely has now but the concept of this professional athlete was sort of as i grew in the sport became more apparent and lots of people were saying you should turn professional but in making that transition i didn't really think about um what that was going to look like because I didn't know and, you know, there's no job description. I also didn't really do a financial analysis on whether I could afford to be a professional because I decided that if I looked at too much detail into the finance side of things and also what it actually meant to be a professional, I'd have probably talked myself out of it and I'd have probably been still sitting at a, at a corporate, in a corporate office. Um, so it was a little bit of an unknown, as to what I was throwing myself into. Um, And I think the other big step in that was, yeah, going from having it as a hobby. You know, when I moved to Australia um, with a corporate job, I moved there with a corporate job, so you've automatically got a network of corporate colleagues. Um, I then had the triathlon, which I started, so you then suddenly got another network of friends through sport and i was also lucky i had some relatives my cousins lived out in australia so i had a family network there as well and um, when i turned professional and moved to san francisco the hobby was obviously being transitioned into the job so that kind of narrowed down the friends and network opportunity to just being the sport and also sort of didn't was moving to a new city with no no family support networks yeah so moving to australia had sort of these three different networks which all kind of helped to give me that life and that balance and then suddenly i was changing career changing country changing coach but it lost all of that support network as well
0: so 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 let's let's talk about how what it was actually like and i mean that you, you touched on that as the network but let's go back the first year or two you 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 didn't know what to expect and then it happened so tell us what that experience was like positive and negative I guess
1: yeah I think I think I remember thinking the first actually the first few weeks and months was that it was actually a lot less volume and work than I was expecting and was probably used to I'd always been sort of um, a pretty hard worker and I'd filled my time sort of before and after work with training and I guess suddenly then moving over to, to San Francisco and, and the the before and after work is then your job in you've got that the day to do it. And um, but I think I kind of got a bit uncomfortable with I wasn't quite sure it was it felt like it was enough or or what I was expecting and the recovery aspect and things like that, which I probably hadn't really ever hugely Considered or taken into my training, um, and getting my head around that was probably pretty difficult. I think part of that was also, you know, we was uh, getting to know each other, and you were getting to know me as an athlete, and how I responded to different training sessions, and and what that response was, and how to develop the best plans for me. So, I remember the first couple of months, just. It's quite weird because again, you're still trying to you're trying to settle in a new place. You're trying to build um, a network. You're trying to settle into a new coaching relationship, um, and and understand what that training is. You sort of, I guess, you probably want to see results straight away because you've suddenly made this huge decision to to transform your life, lifestyle, and life, and you're kind of seeking for justification and and wanting that that progress pretty quickly um but it doesn't necessarily happen like that
0: it it it, it doesn't i mean it's i mean there's lots of parallels from sort of starting a business in many ways where you like you you have a great concept and idea and you get busy doing it but there's an awful lot of grind before you really get provide the big yield and and the justification for maybe starting your own business you know that there's there's certainly parallels there do you think you were do you think you were also a, a victim? I guess two questions. Do you think you were a victim of too much time? Sounding bizarrely. In other words, you mentioned before that you had work and then you crammed training around work. So it was a very busy schedule. And suddenly training was central. It was your work. And you had a whole bunch of time to think. That, that's the first question. The second question is, um, was it surprising or, or a challenge for you to suddenly bubble up all of these other supporting elements, recovery, sleep, nutrition, and making them absolutely critical to your beam was that was that a tough emotional challenge
1: yeah um partly because of the well a combination of those two questions is that um because I'd always been so busy and filled my life with the training and the corporate and and that sort of thing suddenly then and survived on and I say survived on very little sleep for that um and I'd always been busy. I'd always been on the go. And then suddenly sort of transferring to, to San Francisco and this new new career, um, I kind of I had a huge struggle with feeling guilty for not doing anything and feeling guilty for the rest and recovery. And it was kind of like, well, I'm in this new city. I'm in a new country. I should be going out and doing something, uh, go, you know, going and seeing things. Or I, t- I can't just be sitting down Resting and recovering because it's lazy and I should be doing something. So that was kind of a huge, a huge sort of shift or, or struggle, I think, initially. Um, and just, yeah, getting your head around how nutrition wasn't just food to enjoy, it was actually fuel for your job now. And and so making that was making sure that was right to enable you to be able to do the performance and and work at the right level required.
0: And so you managed to navigate all of this and and you have, as I mentioned earlier in the show, you you have been successful. When when you look back now, uh, before we sort of talk about fear and confidence, when you look back now, with the lessons that you have drawn, for for those that are listening, that in their individual goals, their individual pursuits of performance, they want to improve, they want to evolve. What, do you, what are the, the key elements that, as you have gone through this journey, I think apply to everyone to help them? What are the key lessons that have come out of your journey that you think is so critical that everyone needs to take on board in their own journey of evolution?
1: So I think um I mean definitely those the those key basics that I know you talk about a lot, the fueling, the eating and the recovery. Um for me, the you know, and I know it's not as easy for people who have families and the corporate job who are trying to fit training in as well to get that proper sleep in and it's probably the biggest thing that I've registered. I'd love to sort of have, you know, turn the clock back to when I was in that corporate world and think what I could have achieved if I'd have prioritized my sleep better in that life. Um, so I think that's something that people do need to really bear in mind. The other thing is about just being patient um, really being patient and just trying to be consistent with what you're doing over, the, over time and eventually you'll get that break um, and it's that sort of just dogged resilience and and persistence to what you are trying to achieve um and i think one other key thing that that was probably a quite a turning point for me was um get your environment right yeah um and what makes you feel happy and uh, removes a stress of in of that environmental stress and you know unfortunately for me that it didn't it didn't it never clicked in San Francisco being based in San Francisco and can't put a finger on what it was about that but I don't know whether it was just having spent so many years in Australia in the southern hemisphere that just felt more like home to me and I never really could settle or I found it really difficult to settle in San Francisco and so that I think was a um a struggle in those first few years as well
0: and I think that's that's really important because you know your coach is here and um you know your coach is very settled in his uh yeah. <laughs> in San Francisco <laughs> uh, but but the, the key word there is what makes you and and that was the the real pursuit for you it wasn't a calm place it wasn't a place that you felt settled and so we made the decision to say hey let's let's send you on the journey now that we've and, and the good news out of that is we did we managed to cement our coaching relationship that enables a more remote remote relationship uh, yeah. to occur. So I think it was still a really positive in your journey at the same time. It's you have to be happy in your environment to enable to to thrive and be successful. The, the only one, the one I, I would add looking at your journey uh, going through for that that element and it echoes the element of patience as well is that progress is not linear. And, and it's, you know, it, when you look back, I think the perspective of like, wow, I've actually achieved this, but it's not just been this rocket ship that's gone up. It's, it's, it's been full of hurdles and challenges and obstacles for you, both emotionally and physically as you've gone on your journey. I think that's true, wouldn't you suggest?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, anything you do in, in, in sport or in life, I think it's very rare that it's, there's that linear progression you know I know there's that you know the diagram of you're at A and you're trying to get to B and it's a nice straight path that you want to transition but in ultimately it looks like a bowl of spaghetti kind of thing um because it is does go all over so it's having that uh, confidence in what that end vision or it might not be that you I don't think I even really had an end goal or end vision and probably still don't it's just that one step is better than the next, you know, the previous day or the previous step. And that just making that, trying to make those incremental developments to to get to where you want to be.
0: Exactly. Well, I want to go to the, the journey and the challenges of the journey a little bit more. And as I mentioned earlier, the outsider's perspective, at least from my lens, pros don't feel pain, at least as much as regular people. Pros are highly confident. They're tactically smart, uh, you know, almost to a level of automation. I would say, Tra- your training is consistent and executed really well, and um, al- almost in a robotic sense. So, so in other words, there is this underlying perception that professional athletes just don't face the same real struggles, fears, anxieties, etc. So, let's talk about the truth. <laughs> let's talk and, and let's talk about it through your lens. So, let's let's talk about your headline news. What are the what are your struggles? Where do, where do you go through? And, and let's let's start in the early phases of your career because I think that because you've gone on this journey, I think it's good. So let, let's start in the first couple of years.
1: Uh, gosh. Well, I mean, pain, yes. We still feel pain both physically and I think mentally. Um, as much as anything, I think in the early days, it's that searching for justification behind your decision are you good enough what do other people think who does she think she is you know quitting her corporate world and moving to the other side of the world to think she can be a professional athlete and you know and win cone or whatever that is that that people believe and think that you you think um and i think that goes a lot with that confidence of you know looking do you belong do you belong lining up on the start line? Do you belong as a professional? Um, all those kind of elements, I think, were very much a factor in the early days. Um, I don't think they go away, to be honest, um, over the years. I think there's still huge elements of that that I I deal with even, even now, even after the results um, mm-hmm.
0: that I've had. Well, let, let, let's dig into the results, the, the validation, and um, let's talk about pre-race. And uh, what, what are the typical emotions that you have as in, in the week or two leading into the days, maybe leading into bigger races?
1: Um, as you will know well, I normally have a wobble about – three weeks out which we're about good timing at the moment <laughs> for my next race um where I often can go into a spiral um and just panic um doubts oh, am I doing enough am I going to be ready uh, I don't feel ready I'm not swimming well I'm not running I'm you know it doesn't feel right etc etc um there's normally a little bit of um Anxiety around sort of the the travel or transition to the race. Um, on a, on the flip side of that, I know that that happens, so I, I like to get to a race, especially the bigger races, quite a few days earlier, so that I can get settled. So that's how I manage that one now. Um, but yeah, though all those it, it, doubts and fears rapidly can steamroller into um into my head in the in the weeks leading up to a race
0: and 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 you've evolved you have improved that they're still there yeah that it's the 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 mission even the goal has not been to to push them into a corner and and pretend that they don't exist but particularly around that i mean that if you were swimming and biking great and your run wasn't good that would traditionally be the place that you would focus on your mental energy historically yeah or, or flip side, swim and run's going great. Your bike doesn't feel good. Did you found, did, would you find that there was this natural draw towards the negative, the validation of not being ready? If you go back in time a little bit,
1: yeah, definitely. I think you you wanting those um, feel good key sessions to give you that confidence boost that you're on that you're on track.
0: And, and how, how how have you set up to to help mitigate that? Uh, i mean you you just mentioned we know that we're three weeks out so we know it's coming Mm -hmm. uh so so how how do you go about measuring that is it just wisdom of saying hey i've been here before or or what is it
1: yeah i I think there's a little bit of that recognizing that this is what happens before those big races um that are important to me um trying not to overthink think too much the individual sessions and keeping an eye on the sort of almost the more helicopter bigger picture view on um a bunch of sessions together rather than the details specifically of of one um which perhaps i might have focused more on not you know one training session in the past not executing it well and that would have dragged me down and spiraled for a few days whereas now i think i'm not brilliant but getting better at consistently getting the sessions in in the right way and with the right intent Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and let me ask you a question around race day performance when you look back and you're probably not prepared for this question but when you look back at your performances have your better performances always come out of Your optimal preparation or have some of your better performances come out surprisingly from when things have not been necessarily going as well as you think they should
1: um yes (laughs) (laughs) there's no I don't think there's it's been a complete mix of both I think I think you know you can have some great preparation and feel like you're in a really good place and then Race day itself just doesn't, you don't execute or for whatever reason things happen and, and you don't, you don't perform at how that training's been going. And then, um, you know, Kona would probably be one of those examples. And then the flip side would probably be sort of going into Roth, challenge Roth last year and didn't quite feel settled and then probably had for that race one of, um, my better performances. Of my career um even going into um Ironman Australia this year um just feeling very unsettled and not totally happy with how how things were going um but managed to sort of yeah get a get a performance out of the day and I think there's no yeah there's no it, it doesn't mean if you have a great lead up into a race that things are going to go well, and it doesn't mean that having a poor lead up into a race that things are going to go badly. You
0: know, it, exactly, and it, it, especially if you're overly judgmental on how you see what good preparation is. And um, I, I'm yeah. going to be a little bit of a coach here because you're an athlete that loves rhythm and loves consistency, and that to you defines readiness. Um, so even coming ready for Australia and a race that you became, you, you won, you, re- you repeated, you defended your another Ironman championship. And then there I saw a whole bunch of really good stuff. It just wasn't in as much flow just because of the schedule of life and the schedule of racing. So you didn't get the validation you like of rhythm, but the readiness was there. And so that, that's sort of a, a framing for you psychologically that I think you've had to become very robust to say, okay, great. It's, it's not pleasurable, but I have to allow my body to maybe give me the answer rather than my mind to give me the answer in many ways.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's where that, um, the coaching relationship or that support network network is, is, is pretty key on that. You know, someone else who's got eyes in on what you're doing and can give you that sort of level of confidence to make you step back and yes you've been doing the work and and it will it will come through or it is in there
0: exactly. well let's talk about post-race as well because i think this is an area people focus when they're thinking about confidence or psychology uh, they focus so much on pre-race and then it happens and people forget about it but um good bad or indifferent in fact i want to talk about success first dealing with success first and some of the challenges in some of the races that you've had real breakthroughs you know your first big iron man win or some of the races you, you it hasn't always been um cherry blossom on the back side of it so talk about some of the challenges post-race when it sort of had these post-race blues uh
1: the post-olympic depression mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah it i think you always have quite a big come down whatever you do whether it's a big presentation at work or it's getting a um a proposal in with work or it's a race in its performance when it's been a goal and a focus for you in your life to then when it's gone um you know you you live off the adrenaline and the high for a few days but then it's sort of very quickly sort of gets sucked away and you almost come into this to this void um and that can be really hard to to manage um, from a, a physical and emotional thing um, because your body's tired as well and you're mentally tired. Um, I've done various things post-race where normally after those big races, you kind of plan a few days of downtime and, or I manage to fill my downtime with lots of other commitments and so almost feel a little bit more frantic and that I haven't had time to just let things settle and then you start as an athlete you know pulling the race apart and it's hard to get that balance between being grateful for what you've achieved but not resting on that laurel because it might not have been the best performance and Myself, just because I'm super probably super critical of myself and my performance is you sort of almost automatically start pulling it apart and saying, you know well so and so didn't have a good day or um x number of people weren't there, and so you try and pull yourself down from the performance and the result mm-hmm. um and so it's all about after that that race and that success just managing those. Emotions and physical and mental, um, and giving yourself time to celebrate and be grateful, but then being able to have a logical breakdown of the, the, the things that went well, but the things that need to be improved on, and then a plan and a focus going forward.
0: Has, has a part of it, has a part of the management of those? Uh, natural emotions that do come out that many people feel is recognizing them and uh, and realizing they're normal and then managing them.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, and you know, realizing of how best to plan plan your time in those one, two, three, or four weeks post big race or big event. Um, in advance to know how best to deal with what you are going to be going through and learning how to to cope with that so that the next time it comes around, you're better prepared for the, the afterlife almost as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, it's super. Now, I want to talk about a, a, a component that I think is, is very, very common, uh, especially around sort of these longer endurance events, half Ironman and Ironman. Am I ready? Have I done enough training? Now, now for listeners, uh, relative to any other Purple Patch Pro, Laura races more and trains more, uh, and so you are by by definition sort of a relatively high volume racer. It's what works for you. Uh, you're extremely resilient. Do, do you have emotions that around <laughs> readiness for training with fitness?
1: <laughs> you can i was I, I,
0: I was like a tv interviewer <laughs> pretending i don't know the answer there Is, has there ever been any uh consideration of a lack of readiness because of fitness
1: <laughs> i always feel i'm not ready and i haven't got fitness <laughs> um yeah it's quite a bizarre one um yeah you still still lack that that belief and that confidence in that in that area for sure
0: you know, you're, you're, um the, the analogy for you would be sitting in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and saying, I, I really want to dive off this boat, but I'm, I'm not sure if I can because I'm not sure if it's deep enough. And I might bang yeah. my head on the bottom. It's like, you cannot get more fit. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the flip side of that, of course, there must be the challenge of recovery going easy really giving yourself time to recuperate has that been as a professional athlete has that been challenging i don't mean the downtime in the day i mean actually backing off of the stress of training the place that you get validation
1: yeah um because i uh, you know like we've mentioned i i search for that volume i search for the loads and that's what kind of gives me that that confidence and so realizing of Backing off that intensity, backing off that load, going easy on those easy days. Um, I, I still, I mean, I still struggle with, you know, leading into this summer season this year. We're sort of trying a few things slightly differently, and we've had the conversation where you know you said you're going to feel uncomfortable, you're going to feel it's a little bit odd because we're going to remove some of that some of that volume and some of that load. And we've probably had that conversation three times. It's like, "Yep, yeah, I'm on board. I, I, I trust, I trust. And then you'll still get an email or a text going, I'm having a wobble <laughs> and, and we have to have that conversation again. So, um, yeah, that's, it's, you definitely appreciate it. And I, I can, you know, you see the value in those easy days or those easy sessions or, um it might have a slightly different intent of what you're trying to get out of a session if the volume is lower or the intensity is lower but it's still definitely something i still kind of struggle struggle with just from a, a validation and a confidence boost and
0: and and look it it's um it's interesting to hear you sort of say say all of this because you are viewed quite rightly i might add as a as a tough athlete and a tough racer you are and uh but at the same time, it doesn't mean that you're a robot, you know, that we've we've talked about your consistency. And, uh, and there's no doubt your consistency, your ability to rebound your ability to suffer. And yet at the same time, underneath this, there is a uh, there's natural and appropriate one might say, but uh, wobbles, as you call them worries, insecurities, etc. But I think also underneath that sort of uh, I, I don't want to call it a lack of self-confidence but uh, rocky self-confidence there's always do, do you feel like you also have a strong belief in yourself as well
1: yeah I it's a weird it, it's hard to describe I do lack self-confidence and self-belief like I'm always you know even after the races I'm, I'm justifying the reason why I won or had that result with negatives rather than justifying them with positives and that I have worked and earned and deserved it sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't say I, I do have an inner confidence and a belief in myself. And it, it's really hard to describe it. It's, it's there um, in some form or other, but it does – only probably a few people ever see it. It probably doesn't get exposed externally. I think it's a very internal, internal thing, that one. Um, and I think most people probably see the, the negatives and the doubts that I have more than, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's great. I mean, because myself as a coach, I see you, I mean, we're, we're well aware and, and you've been very humble and, and honest to, uh, to come on and talk about all of these, all of these doubts. But underneath there's, there is a very strong belief in yourself. And ultimately, look, you wouldn't have taken the step to go on this journey and be so successful if you didn't have this, not just drive, but confidence to actually step up and face them. So what I want to dive into is, is your evolution. Uh, because we, we sort of expose these are all the natural emotions. And I think one of the things that I want to lay out as we sort of move into the tools of management and the habits that have helped you mitigate these emotions is the emotions don't go away. It's not that uh, as you have become more successful and grown as an athlete, that you suddenly just become a robotic machine with great confidence the emotions remain. I think what you've done a super job of is managing them, learning how to set yourself up for success so that they don't become negatives and allow performance. And so that's what I want to dig into some of the tools and habits. So what have been for you the, the major routes to learn how to manage these emotions? Could you, could you discuss that?
1: Gosh. Yeah. I mean, I think. I think firstly we probably we touched on a little bit about getting that environment right. Um, so whether that's um, actual physical geog- geographic environment or whether that's environment of family, friends, network, whatever it is that support element. I think having um, you know I work with a, a sports psychologist as well. I don't like term sports psychologist I don't know what I don't know mentor from who's completely separate to our coaching relationship um and I think that's having that person as part of my network has been huge in terms of a a different sounding board and 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 support support system there and so challenging me on a lot of things around that confidence and that belief and how I manage it and Things about, you know, don't, don't have your measures of success going into a race or going into a period of training and then holding me accountable to not change the goalposts at the other side. Um, I think that's probably been, been pretty key. Having that support network and then that's that relationship with your coach and I think that has to be incredibly open and almost sort of force the issues um at times, to make it work, um, whether it feels comfortable or not for either person involved. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, one of the things, in getting my environment right, which has been obviously a huge positive for me, the negative is that my coach, you are, you know, is, is in San Francisco, and I'm hardly ever there, and that is a real struggle for me, um, and so it's, what we both have to do and uh, is making sure that 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 communication is is there and is key, and that and um, I feel I can connect with you and and vice versa, and that we're having those those dialogues to to progress
0: and, and I would add to it the the vulnerability that is necessary you know you say that the open dialogue a part of that is uh athletes quite often feel that they they should be tough they must be tough they must be resilient and yet to get to that resilience quite often what is necessary is to say i'm struggling and i think that's one thing that you've done being able to do it in a let's call it a safe environment to realize that that's not seen as a sense of weakness but something to work together on i think is is really key what about habits like going into the race because you you are certainly a habit driven person and so have have sort of the developments of appropriate habits of how you've gone to a race or anything like that routines that you've gone through has that helped and and what have those habits sort of been
1: yeah definitely sort of something I've developed over time so um you know like for the bigger I think you said for the bigger races I like to get there actually sort of a week even maybe longer beforehand just so I can get settled and I can get that those first few days of training done and and get my environment sort again environment sorted um before the chaos of sort of those last few days before the race I think also in terms of going into a race where I do locate myself I think um some of the races I did in the early years I I went for a you know a homestay cause it was on a from a financial perspective it was it was a better option for me at that time but it was actually sort of you know an hour an hour and a half away from the race and it just actually added additional stress to me in that routine and I'd have probably been better just you know um stumping up to stay closer because that was that that would have worked for me leading into the race so that's those kind of things um in terms of habits and um, you know I have sort of pre the day. I, I like to be pretty organized in those days, last few days into a race. So quite old school about it. I have a piece of paper and I sketch out the week and I put in the commitments I have for the race and I put in my training and I put in when I'm going to get my nutrition sorted for the race and my kit out. And, and it's all pretty structured, almost sort of military precision. Um <laughs> probably coming from that background. Um, But what I also have to have in there is like quiet time for myself and downtime for me. I I don't mind being busy. I I enjoy it. I I thrive off the energy before a race and those activities and things. But I do know that I also have to have that time or at least it needs to feel like I almost have all the time in the world um, and that I've got some quiet time just for me to to be me um I mean we can go into sort of other specific performance routine that I do the night before the race and race morning and that sort of thing that I have kind of developed um I use a lot of visualization I use a lot of sort of self talk or maybe not self talk but written written notes a lot um I have things written on the wall and you know some people might say that's Fluffy or it's Mickey Mouse, but hey that's what works for me yep. um, or what I believe works for me, and that's part of it probably
0: the the, the being organized in the race is a uh, I mean you sort of talk about military precision, but I mean ultimately this this has an element of life as well. what you want to be is in execution mode, so what whatever you're doing when you you go forth to be to be uh, starting a task you want to be. Moving forward and in race week, it's a great example of there being a tremendous amount of to think about setting up the bike, setting up nutrition, uh, pre race meetings, making your training get in, maybe some pre race activities and responsibilities for you, rest, nutrition, eating, I mean, the, the list goes on and on, it can become chaos. And I think it can become a great amplifier of stress if you're not organized. And the same applies when when you sort of are in the workplace and it's Sunday and you've got, what have all the meetings I've got? What is the training that I've got to get in? What's the family situation for someone that's very busy? And without that planning and without scheduling it and saying, this is what I'm gonna do when, it becomes chaos and it becomes an amplification of stress. Versus if you have that framework, you are doing things in military precision, as you put it, but it can be a de-stressor as well. And I think that's been really, really important for you as an athlete to know what you're doing when, wouldn't you agree? Yeah.
1: No, definitely. Um, like I said, you know, I'll, you know, to eat, You know, in fact, I've already done it for my next race. I've, like, written out my piece of paper and drawn the lines for the days and put in, put in what commitments I know already. And when it gets nearer the time, it literally will have eating now and lunch now and that sort of thing. What I think is important when you, when you have that structure is that it also allows me to be flexible when it doesn't necessarily work out or when something comes up or a meeting takes slightly longer than you were planning it to, or, you know, there's other commitments that get thrown in because I've got that sort of structure in laid out and I'm, I'm happy with that and that timing. It allows me to be able to manage that. Those curveballs and that flexibility.
0: Yep. No, it's great. So I want to shift just, just towards the end of our chat. I want to shift to a couple of last things. The first is around, uh, performance habits. And uh, if you had to highlight three or four or five key characteristics that you lean into or have developed, evolved for world class success, what, what would they be? What would be those three or four things in a sort of almost bullet way? <laughs>
1: You know that I'm never good with bullets, Matt.
0: I like bullets. Not too many words on this one, Laura.
1: (laughs) Um, Patience and trust. Um, Determination, resilience, however you want to look at it. Just that sort of, and by that I mean just continue, just keep chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. Um, I think that for me, it's about being. Again, like we just said, structured and organised, but being adaptable and flexible as well. Um, so you not don't let those curveballs fluster you. Go, you know, being able to go with that flow. And um, other performance habits, I think that are key are having again environment, having that strong support network, and that open communication. Um, and another. Another couple of I know a lot of bullets, but um, being an open um, open learner or um, what's the the buzzword with it growth growth mindset? yep uh, um, that sort of constant um, review process after a race or after a training per um, a training session and then moving on to improve that the next time and that you know taking the learnings and moving and that continual, continue improvement cycle um, and with that comes that whole big picture little picture or big picture little detail so yeah um, get the detail in the session but you know it's probably more important to have a bigger picture overview of where you're trying to trying to get to
0: the so many of you what what you just mentioned there for yourself uh, echo my discussion uh last week or the week before around talent, which uh so if you haven't listened to the the podcast a couple of weeks ago on on my thoughts on talent for an athlete and what that means and the key characteristics, uh go back and listen to it, but it echoes much of what Laura just uh, talked about there so so let's go to habits then so you've got this sort of big picture the lens that you look through to to help sort of being performance driven for for people, athletes that are really goal driven and looking to improve, what are the three to four? And this one's one word. You know, but we don't need <laughs> to dive into each subject, but what are the key elements that are or phrases that you would say are so key to be successful?
1: I think if people have been listening to the the podcast, they probably should know these already. I think mm. <laughs> um, uh, sleep definitely. I think um, probably one of the best performance enhancers if you want to call it that um again nutrition and fueling just seeing seeing food as a fuel but you know that's not being monk like about it either um you know i don't i don't follow a specific diet um i don't calorie count i don't weigh my food i just try and do everything in moderation and eat generally healthy and balanced and um it seems to have done me okay the biggest thing i noticed that matches with food and my eating and fuel is that sleep element so i find those kind of go together um oh yeah i mean i think probably the rest of them have covered sort of in that previous question without no. eating them again
0: no i i agree so that's good stuff so i want to ask you one last question and it's only going to apply to a small section of the area of the of the listeners but but i think it's great to get your perspective on this because you've been one of the most successful at transitioning from age group to world class so if someone's listening that is a fast age grouper that says you know what i might give it a shot I, w- I want to become a professional athlete what would be your your quick advice to them
1: yeah i think um don't rush it um so i think i see a lot of amateurs take their pro cards very soon they might have had like sort of one successful race and um, and make the leap to professional and yeah for some people that works but I'd say for you know 90% of the people that do that it it doesn't work and it's a lot of a longer journey so I definitely don't rush it make sure you have several solid results um, behind you, I think also then understand what your driver is for turning professional and what you want to get out of it. Um, I think it has to be a performance related, um, something that's going to challenge you and a development level rather than the maybe what is appeared as the glamorous life of professional. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think they turn, they're going to turn pro and these sponsors are going to come knocking at their door. And, And in fact, a few new professionals have asked me what they should do around sponsorship as they are turning professional. And actually, my advice to them is don't chase it. Don't even think about it. If you can do the sport professionally and have your own separate income, I would probably recommend that because it takes away a financial stressor and just focus on those early years on the training and the development and getting the races done and don't even worry about chasing to get sponsors behind you. Yeah, exactly. um, I think there's other elements of get a coach. Uh, I think that's been invaluable. Um, and with that is that support network, uh, open mindset, again, that growth, growth, learning mindset of what, of just being humble as you turn professional and sort of being a sponge almost in um, surrounding yourself with people that you can learn from. And go on.
0: <laughs> I, no, I, I think that's key, like the support network. And, and if you have the opportunity to surround yourself with others that have done it before or are on the journey, that that's a part of it, isn't it? Other athletes, which which yeah. I think we've been very lucky at Purple Patch to have a culture which is – not just, uh, yes, we have a lot of other pro athletes, but um, really supportive pro athletes where when we have a, a puppy come in, uh, that, and, I mean, now you are one of the it's leaders happy. and you help people up. And I think that that's really, uh, I think, empowering for people coming up.
1: One of the reasons I turned to you initially and turned to Purple Patch was because of that, that group and that net environment and that network that was there and the opportunity to learn from people who had, been professional for a few years or or were at different stages i guess through their professional careers i think um so yeah
0: i i just Uh, thought i just thought it was because i was from essex (laughs) that's
1: that's right
0: (laughs) (laughs) what laura um
1: i'm used to being from the north of england for too many (laughs) years
0: (laughs) what laura i mean firstly thank you Thank you for dealing with the, uh, the Girona, Spain internet, which, uh, which we have had to suffer through a little bit, but, uh, not too bad. Thank you to the listeners for, um, for, for understanding Laura is currently based in, in Girona as she gets ready for challenge or rot or, uh, Roth to the Americans, uh, in just three weeks time. But most importantly, Laura, thank you. Uh, thank you for the last years, uh, trusting. Your journey under the purple patch and my, my stewardship, but, but most importantly, coming, coming into the show and, and being willing to be so vulnerable to, to sort of allow people to understand the challenges and how you've navigated those challenges to find ultimately what has been a, a fantastic career so far. And
1: uh, <laughs> no, thank you. I am, um, no, I appreciate being able to come on. I hopefully have been able to speak about some of those elements well enough for people to understand and um yeah, I know probably caused a few more grey hairs in a in your head as well from the past few years, but I'm very appreciative and supportive of our of our relationship relationship and the development and the successes we've we've had so far.
0: Well, the immovable wrinkles that you have placed on my head uh, will be there for life. Uh, scars of joy, I will call them. But uh Laura, thank you very much. Until next time we have you on. Good luck at Rota. I hope it goes well.
1: Thanks, Matt. Thank you.
0: Well, as I talked about in the introduction to this discussion, I'm really proud of Laura. And I want to echo that again. I am incredibly proud of her, for her to come onto the conversation, to speak to me with so much vulnerability, with the willingness to really expose what many would see as your own weakness. And in fact, I think by doing so, it is empowering. I think it helps her grow in strength. And let's not forget This is an athlete that has gone from an amateur athlete all the way through the nonlinear progression of performance and come out over the last two years to become one of the most successful athletes on the world stage. And yet, in parallel of that journey, there has been a consistent challenge of confidence, in belief, and in worries that she's on the right program, that she can execute, that she belongs. And yet, out of it, through this journey she has evolved and she has grown and she has learned not how to dismiss or diminish those experiences but to manage them and that's the key you don't try and run away from the natural emotions but you develop the tools to manage and Laura has done that well and that is why ultimately When Laura does move on and decide to put her professional career behind her, she will be well-equipped to become the most employable person that you can imagine in anything that she gets to go and do. Because she's not just a world-class athlete now. She has become a world-class performer. Laura, thank you. Guys, thank you for listening. Next week, we've got a special one. We've got Des Linden, the winner of the Boston Marathon. And we are going to talk about the journey of performance and progression and some of the habits that have helped her become Des
1: Linden. Take care.